Well, good morning, everyone. What a wonderful God we serve, don't we? Amen. I invite you to turn me to our opening text, to James chapter 2, verse 20. In your Bibles, James chapter 2, verse 20 in your Bibles. The sermon entitled this morning is entitled, Love Awakens. And there's a handout in your bulletin. It has a little handout. We'll be going over some things in there. And it's from the series entitled, The Ultimate Love Story. It continues on. And so we'll be looking at the picture of God's love for us. James chapter 2, verse 20. Love. There's something about love that just cannot be explained, right? For love, doesn't love make people do crazy things? Have you not seen it? If you don't believe, ask, if you don't believe me, then just ask the young lady who actually, she jumped out of an airplane just to impress her adventurous boyfriend in which her parachute actually failed, and she's glad she paid attention in class because she pulled her alternate parachute, backup parachute. Love makes you do crazy things. If you don't believe me, then just ask those people who've actually left their family, left their homes, left their friends, and even left the country they were born and raised in just so that they could actually be with the one whom they love. Love makes us do crazy things. If you don't believe it, then just ask the man who shaved his head bald just so that his wife wouldn't feel all alone going through chemotherapy. Love makes us do crazy things, extravagant things. Love is extravagant. And if we would just ask these people, we would realize just how extravagant love really is this morning. Amen? And this morning, this type of extravagant love should also thrive between those who claim to love God this morning, which is us this morning. Amen? Should not love go beyond the boundaries of just continue, this to be normal relationship? Shouldn't love be extravagant and defined in, in, in adventurous things for one who we claim to love? Think about that. When God's love finally overwhelms and conquers your heart this morning, you too will then become extravagant in your love for Him. Right? Amen? I said if and when that happens, we will become that way. So this morning, may God help us to truly see and experience his love. Let us pray. Father, may we really see your love this morning. May we really experience your love. Not intellectually, but in our hearts, experience it. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. What does faith need in order to be alive? Look at James chapter 2, verse 20. And the Bible says, what does faith need in order to be alive? The Bible says, but will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is what? Dead. So in other words, in order for faith to be alive, 
You must have what? According to the Bible, you must have what? Works. So in order for faith to be alive, you must have good works, according to the Bible. And we just cannot say that, we cannot say we have, I have faith in God, while there is no works in my life, right? Is that clear? That's pretty clear. You cannot say that I have faith in God, but there's, there's no good works in your life. You cannot say that. The Bible is clear about that. If we don't have works in our lives, then it proves that we don't have living faith in our lives. And if we don't have living faith in our lives, and that proves that we now receive the faith that is the, is the means for us to receive God's grace, which gives us salvation. In other words, if we don't have the works in our lives, then that proves that we are not saved and we are lost. Are you following me? Now we all know that good works, that we, all the good works we ever do, will never save us. Amen? Only Jesus Christ saves us this morning. Amen? But the good works that is seen in our, in our lives is proof to other people and a sign and a symptom, sign to us, and if we don't have any good works, it's a symptom to us that we have not come to Jesus Christ. Are you following me? In other words, we don't do good works in order to be saved. We have good works in our life that proves that I have come to Jesus Christ, that I am already Saved. Amen? Faith that works. In other words, if we don't have the good works of godly standards in our lives, if we don't have the good works of being obedient to what God's will is, if we don't have the good works of listening to the calling and doing the ministry that God has called us to do within His church, then, beloved, these are signs and symptoms telling us that we don't have the living faith or telling us that we are lost. These are symptoms, the signs, it's telling us that we are lost. Now turn me to Galatians chapter 5 or 6. Now we know that we need faith. We got to have faith to be saved. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. You see, before God heals, he breaks first. And we need to realize that, you know, if there are symptoms, a sign that something's wrong, if, if you know, if you're, if something's coming out of your skin and it's all pus and cancer looking, that's a symptom that you're spiritually sick, right? So when we're doing evil works and corrupt things, those are signs and symptoms that we're spiritually sick. So it's not a means that I do to I don't try and be good in order to earn my salvation. That's just a sign of me spiritually sick that my heart needs to be changed. Are you following me? Transformed so I can be transforming and be obedient to God's word. You know what the Bible says? Now, if we know that we need faith that works, what is it that makes our faith work? That's the question. Galatians chapter 5 or 6. Let's see the Bible answer and see what it says. The Bible says, what makes faith work? We know we need our faith to work. What makes it work? Notice the Bible says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availed anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by what? Love. Are you following me? The key ingredient here. In other words, the difference between a faith that works and a faith which doesn't work is the word called love. 
We see that. So there's a, a live faith that works, and then the, on the other side, there's a dead faith that doesn't work. And then the ingredient that makes it determines whether it works or it doesn't work, and that will make it work is a word called love this morning. I thank God for that word love this morning. Amen? Love this morning. In other words, the power that propels our faith to do good works is the power of God's love shed abroad in my heart and your heart here this morning through the Holy Ghost. And this power called love is so powerful. You see, a fear of being punished by God or hope of being blessed by God, these are not powerful enough incentives in your life and my life to bring faith to life. In other words, God looks at the motivation why we're doing things. If the fear of God or hope of being blessed by God, these are not, pow these are not powerful enough incentives to actually resurrect or bring faith to life. See, faith is dead. And we're trying to resurrect faith to produce good works. And so what we're trying to do, we're trying to pump it with actually being fear, with fear gospel or being a prosperity gospel. And these Gospels don't have the power to bring it to life. The only thing the Bible says that makes faith works, that makes it and brings it alive is love and the love of God, beloved. Amen? Amen. Love is a force. Love is a power. It can awaken, give life to faith where once there was no life. And the only way we can obtain this love is by first seeing the love that God has for me and for you. And when we see this love God has for us, it awakens within us a love for him, and thus we love him back. And that love that we experience now, it propels and it brings faith to life, a faith which works by love this morning, beloved. Amen? And when we love God, we would then desire to live up to all the standards he has for our lives. We would desire to be obedient, to his will for my life and your life. We would desire to serve in the ministry he has called us to do within his church. And the only way we ever know whether we are saved or lost is if we know what our good works are motivated by. For the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Do I love God with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength this morning? The same question Jesus asked. Or has my life proven by what I do and what I think and feel that I have become lukewarm in my love for God and thus have lost my salvation? Now, what are works with our faith called? Turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 23 in your Bibles. Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Notice the Bible says, Romans 14, verse 23. What are works without faith called? The Bible says, he that doubts is damned if he eat, because he eats not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. So whatever we do, whatever works we do, that is not done with faith, the Bible calls it sin. So it doesn't matter what you do. If it's not mingled, and follow me, mingled with the faith with works, right? It must have works, since we learn what faith does. If, you're, if what you do is not mingled with a faith which works, a, a real faith, a live faith which works, 
by love. In other words, and it makes sense, if we don't have a faith which works by love, then those works is called sin. You know, this makes sense. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, you don't have to turn there, but look at your handout. It says that one of the definitions of, of, of love is, the Bible says that love is unselfish, right? That's the definition of unselfish. In other words, God, love puts other people before yourself. So you look at your handout, we know that love equals unselfishness. This is a little review. And we also know that the opposite of unselfishness is what? Selfishness, right? So if somebody's unselfish, that person's unselfish, and that person's the opposite of unselfish, that means that person is selfish, right? So he's, unsel he's selfish. Now, definition of selfishness is sin. Look at the, the quotation there. It says, from Sign of the Times, April, April 13, 1891, it says, selfishness is sin. And it grieves away the spirit of Christ. Therefore, we know this is true, then love and sin are on a total, complete opposite, as unselfishness is opposite of selfishness. So the opposite of love is sin or selfishness. And thus, whenever we don't have a living faith, which is working by unselfish love, all we have left is a de dead faith, which is working by selfish sin. For example, what is our motivation for going to heaven or not going to hell? If my only, if, you know, I hear this all the time. I want to go to heaven because I want to have a nice mansion. My driveway is full of gold, walking on this pure gold. That's all mine. My own house in the country, those things, right? If our motivation for going to heaven is purely selfish, purely selfish, we'll never be there. The only motivation, yes, there's blessings, but our motivation should never be for hope of being blessed or rewarded. If my only motivation is this, then that's purely selfishness. But if my motivation for going to heaven is so that I can be with the one, Jesus Christ, who loves me, so that I can make him happy, then my motivation is purely now unselfish. Amen? If my motivation for going to heaven or not to go to hell is based upon a fear of being punished. If that is the only motivation, that is the wrong motivation. If I think I'm going to go to hell and the only reason that I'm going to be good is so that I don't have to be punished and I'm going to fear the judgments of God, if that is the only motivation, you're actually you're still going to go there. Because your motivation is not motivated by love. The only thing that motivates or should motivate us is the power of God's love this morning. Amen? Not a fear of punishment or hope of being blessed or rewarded. You know, our motivation for serving God, God doesn't want us to be walking around here and just doing good things and doing good works with the motivation of God, you know, so God can bless me, so I can get a nice house, so I can get a good job. That's not why we keep the Sabbath. I hear people say all the time, you know, I like to go to church so that God will bless me. Now, there's nothing wrong with those blessings, but if your pure motivation, the underlying motivation is only because you want to receive, God is a big candy machine, right? You put in something, you get something out. If that's all God is to us, He doesn't want that obedience. He wants to say, whatever is not of faith which works by love is what? Sin. 
God wants a heart that is given to him, that loves him, that he can love back in response. He wants a living faith that works by love this morning. If we do things that, oh, I don't want to do this because if I do this, you know, if I work on the Sabbath, therefore God's going to punish me. If our motivation for doing good is so that God won't punish me, that is the wrong motivation. God wants us to do these things because I love him and you love him this morning. That's clear. Let me hear you say amen. Amen. Thus, whatever is not done with faith's motivating power of love is sin. Now, what does love do? Turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 10 in your Bible. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Let's look at love. How powerful is love this morning? Romans chapter 13, verse 10, the Bible says, Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the what? Law. If we have love in our lives, we will fulfill the law of God. Amen? Because we know the first four commandments is love to who? The last six is love to who? Each other, right? So if we have love in our lives, we will become obedient to God's commandment. Amen? And that's what God wants. In other words, if we have the love of God in our hearts, we will not, you know, not because we will feel forced or obligated to, but because we love God and we want to. Amen? You know, it's a sad state when you finally come into a relationship and that the only reason why you're doing good in a marriage, a husband and a wife, is a sad condition when you finally come to a point where you're actually doing good because you feel guilty, you feel obligated to. Go back to the first time when you're falling in love. Was it ever an obligation? Was it hard? Was it a miserable? No, it wasn't. You wanted to do it. And the reason why Christians are so angry about being obedient to God and not wanting to listen or even hear the word obedience, the reason why is the fact that many Christians today have fallen out of love with God. And when we once fall back in love with God, it is the easiest thing to do. Why? It's the same thing it was when you first seen and courting each other and dating one another. To actually buy those flowers for her wasn't a burden. She never had to beg you to do it. You wanted to do it, right? Amen? <laughs> ah, but many marriages. Does that happen? Many marriages come to the point. We fall out of love. And it's an, just the con convenience, right? If you do your chores, take out the trash, Wash the dishes, I do my end of the bargain. Like it's a mutual agreement with no ingredient of love within, right? You do these things, and there's no love there anymore. And it's a burden. And many marriages are getting divorced today. Many marriages. And those, many of them who actually decide to stay, you know, actually it's a minority to think about the people getting, um, to getting, to getting married today. Because they say, well, 50% of marriages are getting to divorce and 50% of them stay together. But that's not realistic because young people today are so scared of marriages, you know what? They're not even getting married. Are you following me? So this destroys the statistics. So in other words, they don't want to be a statistic of being divorced. So in other words, they live together without being married and they break up. And these are not counted statistics. Are you following me? This is the 50% of people who get divorced is only those who chose to get married. But there's many a thousand, hundreds of thousands who chose not to get married who still break up and have had children. 
And then let's say, well, okay, of that 50%, we know it's way less because those who don't get married, say it's a very few of the population. And but those who actually stay married, my question is, how many have a faith, I'm talking within a relationship, a faith that actually works, or a living, a working relationship that's working by love? You know, there's many, many so-called Christian marriages who are actually living lives of legalism in the home. Do you know that? Their heart's not in the marriage. Whenever your heart's not in a relationship between us and God, that's legalism. Many Christian, so-called Christian people are living in a relationship, and they're living a Christian marriage in legalism. There is no love there at all. Turn me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. When we become a Christian, what is it that constrains us? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 in your Bibles. The Bible says, for the love of Christ, what is that word? Constrains us. The word constrains means to compel, to drive, to force, or to push. In other words, when we become a Christian, the Bible says that when we become converted, the love of Christ forces us. It propels us to do good. Amen? It compels us. Just like when you're in love with someone, that love propels you to do good for that person, right? It, it compels you to want to do good. It, it compels you to cheerfully take out the garbage every night, right? It compels you to want to do the dishes, right? That's what love does. It changes the heart. That's the power of love. And God says, I want you to experience the same thing that you experience when you're first in a full flush of love. That's what I want. The same experience you had when you're in love, maybe some of you are still in love with one another. The same love, I want you to experience it with me. That's what God's saying this morning. And look at your handout. And it becomes a natural instinct for us to do good. Look, it says here, Christ's object lessons. Looking unto Jesus, we obtain brighter and more distinct views of God. And by beholding, we become changed. So in other words, we look at God's love, we are changed. And when we are changed, notice what happens. Goodness. In other words, good works. Love for our fellow men. Love becomes our natural instinct. Amen? You know, when somebody throws a ball at you, and it's coming toward your face, and you see it from the side of the line, and it's coming toward your face, and you see it, do you have to think, hey, look, I think it's going about 80 miles per hour, and I think I'm going to maybe move to the left or the right. Are you thinking that kind of stuff? What happens? Instinctively, you move, right? Then we fix some my, our brakes. I had a work be with my wife, myself, and my daughter, teaching her how to change brakes. We change the front brakes and the rear brakes. We change it. And then um, I forgot, in teaching them, I forgot to pump the brakes <laughs> after. <laughs> So here I am, I started up, I reverse, I'm in a rush, I reverse, and I press the brakes, and guess what? It didn't stop. It happened right here behind the, by the shed. I'm headed directly for the shed, <laughs> reversing, in reverse. And I'm going to hit that shed, and I'm like, I have time to pull off my, it's going to take some time to pull it off and push it again. And it may not work again, right? I may have to do several times. I don't have time. So without thinking, instinctively, I grabbed the, the handbrake, and I pulled it. 
We still hit the shed, <laughs> by the way. But it didn't hit as hard. Instinctively, I just reached and grabbed it without thinking it hit it, just bumped it. I would have smashed that back of the car and the shed. Instinct. In other words, I didn't think, okay, what do I need to do? Can I scream? <laughs> Can I grab the handbrake and yank it back? Can I press it five times? We're not thinking that. It's an instinct. In other words, goodness or good works, love for other people, even your enemies, becomes a natural instinct. In other words, when you experience the power of God's love in your life, it will transform you so much that you will do good works. And you know what? You, many times you will not even know that you're doing good works because the power of God's love has gripped and grabbed your heart and made you a new person, Jesus Christ, beloved. Amen? And that's what the power of the gospel does within my life and your life. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 5. What did Jesus say to Paul that was hard for Paul to do? Acts chapter 9, verse 5 in your Bibles. What did Jesus say to Paul that was hard for Paul to do? And the Bible says, and he said, Paul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, Paul. And this is what Jesus said. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Now, the word kick means to fight against something. And a pricks was actually an iron metal rod used to drive cattle. You know, you hit on the horses, they hit the cattle like that. So kick against the pricks. So in other words, what Jesus is saying to Paul is that, Paul, it is hard for you to continually fight against the driving stick of love that would prick your heart over and over again. And the reason why Paul was converted was because he had finally stopped fighting against the Holy Ghost's driving of love upon his heart. And beloved, isn't it about time that we also start fighting against the compelling power of God's love upon your heart this morning? God is the one chasing you. He's chasing me, and he's wooing you with your love, and he's trying to wake us up and pull us to love him. God wants us to see his love. Solomon, King Solomon, wrote about his love with a Shulamite woman in the book Song of Solomon. He wrote a little short story that I thought was very beautiful. And let's go over that. Turn to Song of Solomon, chapter 5. I saw it in verse 2. It's in Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. What is the Shulamite woman doing? Now, Solomon is writing, this is, a, this is a love story between the Shulamite woman and her beloved, her man. And I want you to notice what's going on in this story. What is this woman doing, first of all? The woman says, in verse 2, the first part, she says, I sleep. So in other words, this woman is found here sleeping, right? Now, according to the Bible, what does a woman represent in the Bible? A what? A church. So here we have in the Bible found that, here we have in the Bible found the church members sleeping, right? Now they're not jumping with life with excitement, neither are they eating at this time, the word. 
You know, they're exercising the ministry that God has called them to do within his church. But instead, the Bible says here, representing the women of church, the Bible found here that the church or the members are found sleeping. Right? Now, while she is sleeping, what happens to her heart? So her body is sleeping, what, but what happens to her heart? Look at Solomon chapter, Song of Solomon 5, verse 2. It continues on. It says, I sleep, but my heart, what? Is awake. Waketh. Is awakened. So, while she is yet physically sleeping, the heart of her soul is awakened. Do you see that? Now my question is, why is it that her heart awakened, even though she's lying on the bed and her body is sleeping, but her soul within her awakes within her? She's stirred. Why is it that she's stirred? Let's continue on the, the text. The Bible says in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. I sleep, but the heart, my heart waketh. Why? It is the voice of my one. Beloved, that what? Knocks. You ever been sleeping and somebody knocks at your door? That's what happened. But she's so tired and exhausted. She's enjoying the bed. She's lying down in bed. She's sleeping. Her body's sleeping. But her soul awakens. It's stirred. Why? Because it's the voice of her beloved that is knocking on the door. Too tired to wake up, but her soul is stirred and awakened deep down within her. And even though many of us beloved here are sleeping this morning, spiritually, Christ is knocking on the door of your heart here this morning. And even though I know that many of you are not yet awake, I know that deep down within your soul, you are stirred and awakened by the movings of the love of God through his Holy Ghost. And like this woman lying on a bed and sleeping, not serving God, not doing the ministry God has called you to, God comes in and reaches you to your deep sleep, and he goes and reaches to the depths of your soul to stir you, to stir you with his love, that there's something that God wants you to do for him in this time and hour. God is calling you, and though you're sleeping, he's waking you up. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying to God, his last remnant church, Laodicea, wake up. Wake up. Time is at hand. What does her beloved say to her besides knocking? Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says, I sleep. But my heart awakens. It is the voice of my beloved that knocks, saying, what is he saying? He's saying, open to me, my sister, my what? My love. My dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. Her beloved shares with her, how much he loves her. And beloved, this beloved was outside, knocking on the door. Can you imagine? She's lying in bed, and he's knocking on the door, stirred, but he, her, she's too tired. She's so nice in bed, but 
her soul was awakened, not only by the knock, but by the voice. And what is the voice saying? He says he loves her. That's what he's saying to her. He loves her. But notice his condition. The Bible says that his, his locks, his head is filled with dew, and his locks or his hair with the drops on the night. In other words, he's left standing outside of the home all night that the dew of the morning had come. And there he patiently waited for his love to open the door. And that's what he was doing. And beloved, has not God in his mercy given to his church a revelation also of his character of love? Has not God been patiently waiting with longing desire for his character to be reproduced within his people? And yet God is waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And unfortunately, many of us have left Christ out in the coldness and the darkness of the night while he's still knocking on the door of our hearts. Have we not, like Laodicea, knocking, Christ is knocking, and Christ is left standing on the altar so we can have one last fling with the devil? Could it be possible that the real reason why we have not finished God's work on this earth and we not have the gospel go throughout the whole world, could it be that maybe God's people don't really want to be with God? Could it be a relationship thing? rather than a theological thing. Could it be that maybe God's people don't really want to be with him? They like to be separated from him. They don't want to see him come again. That's why let's continue on with the worldly things that we're doing so that we continue on without God. Why want to be with someone that we don't love in the first place? What was this woman's response to this message of mercy? Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 3. You know what the Bible says? She heard his plea for love. She heard the last message of mercy given to the world. She heard of the revelation of his character of love. And then notice she says, she says to him, her beloved adorer, now she should be in love with him, but she said to him, I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? In other words, I have already retired for the night. I don't want to get out of bed. I'm too comfortable just where I am at. You ever heard that before? I like what I'm doing. I want to continue to do what I am doing. I don't want to be disturbed. Is this not also true of God's beloved church today? Have we not become too relaxed to wake out of our sleep? Have we not become too comfortable to get out of bed? Have we not told Jesus through our actions that we just don't want to be disturbed? Have we not told him that? We may not tell him that with our words. But we definitely show it through our actions. When I see the word of God and I read the word of God and I read the last days of God's people, how active, on fire, how they're doing God's ministry that God called them to do, and I see the condition of our church today, and I can say the Honokah church, when I see the condition of God's church and I read the Bible and the spirit prophecy, I know either one or two things. Either God is lying Oh, we are lying. But my Bible says that God does not lie, and he cannot lie this morning, beloved. Amen? Amen. But the Bible says that we, our hearts are deceitful above all things, and we are lying.
Is this not the condition of God's beloved church today, Laodicea? Let me share about Laodicea. Christ is knocking like this man on the outside, on the outside, knocking on the door of Laodicea's heart, right? Christ is knocking on the outside. In other words, Laodicea, God's remnant church, the seventh Adventist church, the people are lost. We're told not one in 20 are ready for Christ's second coming. They're not ready because, in other words, Christ is not on the inside of the heart of Laodicea. Christ is on the outside knocking like in a story to get in. Laodicea is lost. They're not saved. And God is trying to wake us up in his last days with his message of mercy to wake us up with his love. To wake me up with his love. What did her beloved then do? Solomon, Solomon chapter 5 verse 4. Notice the Bible says, My beloved... He told her, I love you. Then he says, my beloved, put his hand by the hole of the door. In other words, he made an extraordinary effort to reach her. And my bowels moved for him. I was stirred. I was stirred because the extra effort of love he put forth toward me. Beloved, has not Christ done everything he possibly can to try and save us? But he failed in his story. But this attempt in the end, did it fail? In verse 4, verse 5, did it really fail? Notice what it says here in verse 5. The Bible says, I rose up to open to my beloved. Though he tried to open the door, and that's the thing about God, you know, love cannot force. Amen? Love cannot force. And though Christ will do everything possible to open the door of your heart, he cannot force his way in. It goes against the very principles of love. And therefore, he can try every extraordinary effort to reach you, to try and woo you in love, to try and draw you with his love, to try and track you with his love, but he cannot force you to love him. And I praise God he's a God like that. He can't force you to do what he wants you to do, but he can win you with his, with his love. So Christ is reaching out. He's trying to grab you. He's trying to reach you. He's trying to move your heart. He goes extraordinary effort to reach you. And thus he fails by having to force you. He cannot force you. But because of this, she says, I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. It worked. Laodicea, woke up, and we know the ending, that in the end, God's people is going to wake up, beloved, amen? And I want to be part of that, how about you? God's people see the message, and God sends message after message of love, and love, and love, and it goes extraordinary effort to try and reach you with love, to reach your heart. He wants you to be stirred. Though you may be sleeping, He wants you to be stirred from your soul within. He wants to reach deep down within and wake me and you up, beloved, this morning, because He loves you so much. Isn't about time that we're waking up out of our sleep. Isn't about time that we receive his love for you and me. Isn't about time that we opened up to our beloved this morning. Jeremiah said, the harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are still not saved. God is waiting for you and me to wake up. For the time has come to be reunited with him for we have slept for far too long. You see, the reason why we don't want to change is because we have fallen out of love with God. For if you were to find someone who had, 
whom you would absolutely love, if you would find someone who you absolutely love, change would be easy for you. For there have been many people who have been willing to change the stubborn ways all in the name of love. And maybe it's one of you this morning. Worry this morning. Worry really this morning. Have you lost that true and deep love for God? There's a song. Old, old, old song. Talks about how someone telling the story about how the lover fell out of love with them. And it's called, You Don't Bring Me Flowers, what? Anymore. Remember that song? It's an old song before my time. <laughs> you don't bring me flowers anymore. Let me share a few lines, and it says, You don't sing me, you used to sing me love songs at one time when you loved me, but now you don't sing me love songs, I might add, anymore. You used to love to talk to me before, but the line says, you hardly talk to me anymore. When we were in love, when we were young and dating, you used to bring me flowers, but now... You don't bring me flowers anymore. And what this song is saying is that there was a time when we were in the first flush of love. We used to love each other and we do everything possible to show our love for one another. It was not a burden. And we enjoyed it and we were active in our love. We do crazy things. We are going to the top of Mauna Kea at 2 o'clock in the morning because we're in love, right? The crazy things that we did for love. Many of us have done crazy things for love. But then when we come to our love for God, you don't see extraordinary efforts for God anymore. It comes only to the reality that do we love God anymore? Can this song be said of you this morning? Do you still sing from your heart when you sing to God? Or the words come home to you that God says to you, you don't sing me love song from your heart anymore. Maybe when we first started off, we would have to have our morning worships with him and spend an hour in the morning like Jesus did every morning to talk to him. But can God say to you this morning, you don't hardly talk to me anymore? It used to be that you used to go extraordinary efforts to do stuff and to do the ministry God has called you to do within his church. Can, God, can it be said of you, can God say to you this morning, you don't hardly do anything for me anymore? Can that be said of you this morning? This morning I want to give my all to Jesus Christ because I love him with all of my heart, my soul, my heart, and my strength. Are you with me, church? In these last days, are you with me? Are you sincerely want to love God this morning? Not to what we say, but what we do. If that's your desire, then you say amen with me. Amen? Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 183. This is called, I Will Sing of Jesus' Love. As we sing these words, let's think of the, the song that says, You Don't Sing Me Love Song. Let's say to God, I want to sing this love song to you this morning, and I'm going to sing of your love for me. 183.